This past week, I was at our United Methodist Prothrow Center at Lake Texoma. Uh, I'm on our annual conferences board of ordained ministry, and we uh, were interviewing candidates who are seeking ordination as clergy in the United Methodist Church. I wrote about this a little bit in my column this week. In our United Methodist uh, United Methodist process, after years of preparation that I elaborated on uh, in that column, we have a, a two-year residency period before a candidate becomes fully ordained. Um, the interviews this week were for candidates who are ready to begin that residency period. If you, if you are subscribed to my, my weekly column, and if not, uh, I hope you will, um, you know that our own Kristen Steed uh, passed with flying color. She was terrific, and she's going to begin residency this summer here at Christ United Methodist Church. She's up in the balcony right there. Congratulations, Kristen. Uh, this is my, my 12th year on the board, and I'm, I'm always inspired by those who have been called to ordination. So uh, this year, including Kristen, we had 16 candidates. And the diversity of this group was, uh, was just a beautiful reflection of the kingdom of God. So the youngest candidate was 24 years old. And the older I get, the more like a child that seems, 24. But he was very, very, very talented, very qualified. And the oldest candidate was 67 years old. That candidate pool included people from uh, Korea, South Korea, and Guatemala. Of course, most of them were from our, from our area, from rural churches and suburban churches and college ministries and uh, large city churches. And they, they were just all kinds of personalities. Some were uh, unabashedly joyful. Some were extremely pastoral. Some were more corporate. Um, some were theologically a bit intense. Some made us laugh. Some made us think. Some made us cry, totally in a good way. And, and all of them uh, filled us with excitement for the future. We had preacher's kids uh, who are near and dear to my heart for obvious reasons. And we had people who were just entirely formed in our Methodist tradition, uh, we, as well as people from other theological traditions who had found their way to the United Methodist Church. These women and men uh, from diverse ethnic and religious backgrounds bring a variety of perspectives to our Methodist theology and doctrines, which is, uh, in my opinion, one of the great gifts of our church. Now, if your theology is not Methodist, you don't pass the board, but there's a big tent of Methodist theology, as I know you know, from uh, pretty, pretty progressive to pretty traditional or liberal and conservative, if you prefer those descriptions. These 16 candidates represent the theological diversity that I have found in every United Methodist Church that I've served. And all of them are committed to devoting their lives to the mission of the United Methodist Church, which is, you probably know, uh, to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. That's also our mission here at Christ United Methodist Church. Uh, for those of us who have already um, claimed this place as our spiritual home. We're all growing in our faith together in a variety of ways while focusing on Christ's expectation that we reach as many new people as we can. Because uh, we believe that everyone belongs here. Everyone. That is without exception. No matter who you are or where uh, you've been, no matter what you've done or left undone, no matter what you believe at this point of your spiritual journey, no matter how committed you have been to this point in your life, to the way marked out for us by Jesus of Nazareth, we are uh, clear 
that all of us belong. And that's our subject for today. This is week three of our four-week sermon series called Three Big Questions. Uh, This series is inspired by a book called Three Big Questions That Shape Your Future. As I've mentioned the past couple of weeks, uh, there's also a, a version of that book for parents of youth called Three Big Questions That Change Every Teenager. And either of those books are worth your time if you're interested. Uh, In week one of the series, we did kind of a general introductory sermon. Then in week two, we talked about the first big question, who am I? So we talked about uh, our core identity as followers of Jesus. And here's a a good place just to say, if you ever miss a sermon that you really want to listen to and hadn't had a chance to, you can listen to those via podcast, or you can just go to the website and watch them. Today, of course, we're talking about the second big question, which is, where do I fit? And that is a, a question of, of belonging. So last week we were in the Gospel of John. We're gonna stay in the Gospel of John this week and we'll be in the 15th chapter. So I'm gonna read verses one to 11 now and we'll come back to the rest later. Listen friends, for the word of God as it is proclaimed by God's servant, the evangelist John. This is uh, Jesus talking to his disciples, which means of course, talking to us. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine grower. He removes every branch in me that bears no fruit. Every branch that bears fruit, he prunes to make it bear more fruit. You have already been cleansed by the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me as I abide in you. Just as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine you are the branches. Those who abide in me and I in them bear much fruit because apart from me, you can do nothing. Whoever does not abide in me is thrown away like a branch and withers. Such branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask for whatever you wish and it will be done for you. My father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and become my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. I have said these things to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So, probably goes without saying that I have deep love for the entire canon of our scriptures, especially the, the four gospels. But the, the gospel of John in particular is the most important book I've ever read. It is my favorite book of all time of any genre. Now, the other three gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, are all really pretty similar. In fact, scholars believe that um, Matthew and Luke, um, when they wrote their gospel, when they wrote down their account of Christ's life, they used Mark as a primary source. And these three gospels give us the, what we would expect, account, an account of Jesus' healings and miracles and teachings, uh, as well as, of course, the story of his arrest and crucifixion and resurrection. Then Matthew and Luke specifically include an account of his birth. The Gospel of John includes all those fundamental aspects of Christ's ministry, death, and resurrection, but it also offers us some important additional theology. It was written much later than the other Gospels, like 
We're talking about decades later, which means that the Holy Spirit had been at work in the life of the church, revealing more that we need to know. So in the, in the introduction to the new Oxford Annotated Bible, which is the Bible I, I preach from every week, um, we read this. While Matthew, Mark, and Luke preserve the sayings of Jesus in words closer to their original form, John employs more freely his own modes of thought and language in reporting and interpreting the teachings of Jesus. In other words, uh, we believe that the reason John is so different from the other three Gospels in some important ways is because the Holy Spirit was continuing to reveal new insights to the church, and John uh, uh, entrusted them to us for posterity. And one of the things that the Spirit gave John and us is this incredible collection of metaphors that Jesus uses to describe himself. These are metaphors that only appear in the Gospel of John. So Jesus says, I am the bread of life, and I am the light of the world, and I am the good shepherd, and I am the resurrection and the life, and I am the way and the truth and the life. It's only John who gives us these metaphors that have been so central to our theology since he wrote them. And our text for today is actually the last of these metaphors to appear in John. John 15 is set after Jesus' final meal with his disciples. So this is the final night before his death, what we would call uh, Thursday of what we would call Holy Week. And it's shortly before his arrest. And this this section is what scholars um, often refer to as his farewell discourse. And so in John, we know that he spent three years with his disciples, explaining to them, um, modeling for them, and sometimes just out overtly telling them the way that God intends for them to walk. And at the end of this period, he gives us one last metaphor. I am the vine, he says, you are the branches. According to Christ, we are called to abide in him just as he abides in us, which is the answer to the, to the second big question, where do I fit? Now, there's an existential crisis in our communities and in our nation. We've talked about this before, and this subject gives us a chance to, to revisit it. It's been widely uh, reported. You've probably read it from whatever news source you, you call your own. Um, it was also a, a big deal for the Surgeon General last year. It's a, a crisis that's gotten worse since the pandemic, and, uh, and I think there's a key correlation here, as Americans have become less and less attached to faith communities. On Christmas Eve, there was a headline about it in USA Today. It read, Americans are lonely and it's killing them. In Three Big Questions That Change Every Teenager, the authors just tackle this head on. They tell us that chronic loneliness has the same impact on mortality as smoking 15 cigarettes a day. And the data says that chronic loneliness is a, uh, a better predictor of early death than obesity. And it's an ep epidemic that cuts across all age levels. It affects all of us, and it's one that's increasingly affecting um, uh, younger age levels. So a recent global study found that loneliness was highest among 16 to 24 year olds, if you can believe that, with 40% of them reporting feeling lonely often 
or very often. And there was a a US-based survey that found that Gen Z, which demographers define as having been born from 97 to 2012, so that's the youngest generation that we can study data like this for, it's also the generation of my two children, is more lonely than any other. And here's what they write, with more than half, more than half of that age demographic feeling as if the people around them are not really with them and that no one really knows them well. And here's the thing about this, we, we ask this question, every one of us, all of us, we ask this question um, typically beginning in our teenage years, but we don't answer it forever in our teenage years, right? It stays with us, it stays with us our whole lives, and at times in our lives, depending on what's going on in our lives, it can unsettle us um, until we find our people. Where do I fit? which is to say, where do I belong? I think the good news is that on the last night before he died, in his farewell discourse with his disciples, Jesus answers that question for us. Let's finish the reading, 15, chapter 15, verses 12 to 17. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends. And here's where we should take a step back and remind ourselves that in the Gospel of John, it's very clear, the Son of God, the Son, second person of the Trinity, is God. I don't know of any other religion that that affirms in its believers that you are friends with God. It's an incredible thing. And it goes on to say, you are my friends if you do what I command you. Obviously, loving one another is a big deal. I do not call you servants any longer because the servant does not know what the master is doing, but I have called you friends because I have made known to you everything that I have heard from my father. Whatever Bible you own, you should underline the next sentence. You did not choose me, but I chose you. And I appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, so that the Father will give you whatever you ask him in my name. I am giving you these commands so that you may love one another. Now hopefully, um, there are lots of places where we find belonging, a sense of belonging. Um, Friend groups, we fall into that category, neighbor groups, community groups, school groups, civic groups. Um, If you're a a parent with kids who are like teenage years or younger, chances are sports groups or or cheer groups or dance groups or music groups, band, scout groups. Hopefully there's more than one place where we find connection. Connection is important and hopefully we find it in more than one place. But as we said last week, just as there are lots of ways that we express our identity, our core identity is that we're followers of Christ, which means that our question of belonging should first and foremost be answered in our communities of faith. And Jesus is pretty clear about this. I am the vine, you are the branches, he says. You are my friends, he says. You did not choose me, but I chose you, he says. Abide in me, he says. There are so many people who are lonely in this world and every single one of us has those people in our lives 
who are lonely. And chances are, every single one of us either has been, is now, or will be lonely at some point in our lives. That's just the way it goes. There are, there are so many people who think that no one cares. There are so many people who feel as if uh, people around them are not really with them. And that, to me, is beyond heartbreaking <laughs> because there is an answer to that existential crisis. There is an answer to that deep-seated sense of loneliness that so many people suffer from. God has offered us a response to the loneliness that is so rampant in this world. Just as our relationship with Christ is the foundation for our identity, our life in the body of Christ, in the church, is the foundation of our belonging. And that shows up in a lot of ways. I mean, it's here that we gather each week to worship God, right? We're all here to praise God and to offer our prayers to God and to hear God's word read and proclaimed. We're here to share our financial resources to support the work of God in the world and to remind ourselves of our core identity because it's easy to forget about that from time to time and to challenge ourselves to live out the gospel in the world because the world has a whole different set of standards than the church does. It's also here, and just as important here, that we find our people, which is really important in such a large family of faith. Like I'm, um, I can be pretty introverted. Not here on Sundays, I love visiting with everyone who's a, like all the church members, that's not a problem. But if I go into a, into a big room, if I go to a church that I don't know, it's easy for me to sit in a corner and not talk to anybody. <laughs> because I'm, I'm there for me. But there's a limit to how effective that is for my own spiritual health. We need to find our people, and we can do that in Sunday school, and we can do that in Bible studies. You expect me to say that. We can do that in, in small groups, but we can also do that in serving others' ministries. I mean, there's more serving others' ministries here than shake a fist, what, whatever the metaphor is. Yeah, thank you. Um, but that, that's not the limit. We can do that by ushering and finding our connection in that group of faithful servants or by serving in any of our other seemingly uh, countless ministry opportunities around here. The point is we connect closely in Christ as we walk our spiritual journeys together. And when we do that, we find the people uh, who will celebrate with us in our victories and be there for us in our sorrows, and God knows life is full of both. <laughs> There's no comparison with any other group that we belong to, as important and wonderful as those other groups may be. Because when our connection with others is rooted in our common identity as Christians, there is a spiritual bond unlike any other. And for us United Methodists, that's rooted in grace. <laughs> and if there's one thing the world needs more of, every single day, it's grace. If the second big question is, is where do I belong? The answer that Jesus himself gives us is in the body of Christ. If you've looked at the calendar this year, you know uh, that the way the calendar falls, Easter is early. Um, the staff is, uh, with, stresses a little bit when I remind us that 
Ash Wednesday is just two and a half weeks away. So, you know, I'm self-aware that probably means that it's time for me to put away the Christmas references for a while. <laughs> Although I do keep track every day. Um, so, this is not a Christmas reference, um, but it is about a scene in a Christmas movie. And it's a scene that uh, I absolutely love any time of year. So, I, I'm assuming we've all seen this movie, Home Alone, right? Silly in many ways, slapstick humor, totally get it. Um, the premise of the movie, in case you haven't seen it in a while, that's that. Kevin, the little kid there, is eight years old, and he is defending his home against those burglars um, after his family accidentally leaves him alone when they go on vacation, okay? We've all seen it. Well, there's another part of the storyline that's actually pretty deep. Kevin uh, has this seemingly creepy, I'm saying seemingly creepy, next-door neighbor about whom the neighborhood kids have made up terrible stories and so Kevin, of course, as an eight-year-old, uh, is afraid of him. But in a twist of fate, Kevin and this old-timer end up at church together during choir rehearsal on Christmas Eve. Church is virtually empty except these two. Now, Kevin doesn't realize that his neighbor is there until he walks up to him, and then right after that creepy-looking picture, he smiles at him, and he asks him if he can sit down. And it turns out that both of them are in church because they're lonely. And the old-timer tells Kevin that he doesn't have to be scared of them because those rumors going around are not true, and they strike up what is, I'm telling you, a deeply theological conversation about why they're both in church alone on Christmas Eve. They have an honest conversation between the eight-year-old on the right-hand side and however old the old-timer is on the left about where they are in life. The writing is brilliant. And Kevin, um, talks about how he regrets the way he acted with his family. And the old-timer uh, talks about how he regrets that he is estranged from his son and his son's family and his son's daughter, his granddaughter, who he is there to see rehearse. And he tells Kevin that he, he can't come back tonight in worship and, and sit with the family and hear her sing that evening because they're estranged. He's not welcome. And Kevin's response is perfect. Kevin shrinks back, he says, after he says, I'm not welcome, he says, at church? <laughs> and then this old timer responds with a truth that in my opinion, every human being on earth needs to hear. I don't care how long it's been since they've been in church. In this beloved movie that millions of people have watched but statistically speaking, some significant portion of them being lonely. They've watched it annually for more than three decades. He reminds us all, no, you're always welcome at church. And this encounter, which takes place in the home where everyone belongs, from Christmas Eve to the fourth Sunday in January and everywhere in between, this encounter changes both of their lives they find the connection that they need. And Kevin goes on to face his fears. Uh, the old timer ends up saving Kevin's life in the end, and the last scene of the movie is as poignant as any scene in any Christmas movie you'll ever watch, or any other movie in my opinion, because he reconciles with his family, restoring that brokenness that he experienced at that point. And I, 
man, I wish everybody knew this. And we all know that there are plenty of churches that are not good at this. <laughs> but the church at its best, the church that Christ calls it to be, churches like Christ United Methodist Church are clear. We all belong at church. We're all welcome, and there is no exception. Because in Christ, God calls us friends. You did not choose me, but I chose you, Jesus tells us. So may this place uh, be a true home for us all, and maybe we, may we be really clear about welcoming everybody else too. Amen.